Hi, I'm LG from Thelma and the Sleaze. I'm so excited that you're about to listen to Queen of Shit Mountain on the Critical Frequency Podcast Network. Things started to take shape for us. We started getting a little bit of national attention. We were opening for some pretty cool bands. People were kind of catching on to our Instagram and our YouTube videos. And we started doing pretty well. A couple years go by and we get an offer for a record deal. And that sounds nice, you know, in theory, a record deal. And I'm not gonna name the record label, but they sent us contract, 10 grand advance. And I thought, okay, that's a good amount of money. But we had already recorded the record and the record had cost 13 grand to make. So I was kind of sitting there thinking, well, that just kind of cut our losses, but at least we'd be on this really strong indie label and we would have a good team behind us and we would be able to do this thing as much as we could on a more professional level. So we signed the contract. The guy who I'd met at one point the label head came to Nashville, had lunch with us, and he didn't exactly rub me the right way. I kind of got a vibe from him. It wasn't entirely savory. And he kind of pinched my back, side. You know, like how when an old man's trying to be perverted, he pinches your side, and I was like, ew. We signed a contract because, again, we were a little desperate, and I, other bands on the label were cool, so I figured he, maybe he was just a weirdo. And then about a day later, he's like, oh no, I'm sorry, I sent you the wrong contract. Y'all signed the wrong contract. My lawyer just called me and he sent me over a new contract that you need to sign. Will you look it over? it over and I was like well this one's real different and the terms aren't very good it was 15 year 50 50 ownership of our licensing publishing everything across the board we would pretty much be tied to this dude for 15 years on this record and he could do whatever he want repress it as much as he wants whatever with you know second record option and it was just not a good deal for us. At the time, I thought the record was gonna do very well because we had had a guy from a very popular band work on the record with us and we recorded it at a very good studio. So I was like, okay, I think I got something real good and I thought the songs were great. And we were kind of ready to blast that glass ceiling off the roof. I wasn't prepared to leverage, and it also rubbed me the wrong way that he had sent us two contracts. I mean, to me, that was kind of shady from the jump, you know? And he had pinched me, which I also thought was a little fucking weird. His hands were very sweaty. You know, look me in the eyes, motherfucker. So I'm at South by Southwest. My band is almost already falling apart. We play 32 shows in 
29 days, left for tour three days later. Gigi and Chase's relationship had become pretty much volatile at that point. It was not ideal. And I had this stupid contract and all these people talking to me and I don't trust anybody. I grew up poor with a single mom and seven brothers and sisters and just bad churches and bad small town shit. And like, I don't trust nobody. So I was like, nah, man, I don't think so. So my lawyer calls me and we had this chick who said she would be our lawyer. Chase found her, which should have kind of been my first indication she probably wasn't very good at her job but she called me and she said LG are you gonna sign this contract my band's about to fall out you know they're smacking the shit out of each other at shows I grew up in an abusive home so I don't really I don't I don't think it's cool whether you're gay straight man or woman don't put your hands on each other man that shit's weird here we are in Austin with this shitty contract them batting each other around the van, now this is really the kicker. This all has happened in a week now. I got this shitty contract. The girls are imploding. They're about to like kill each other. I take the van to get a gas leak fixed because we finally had a little extra cash and I wanted to get a gas leak fixed. We've been driving around this van with a gas leak and it's fucking us up. So went to the mechanic, I paid him $600. They fixed the gas leak. I get in the van after I pick it up from the mechanic. There's a piece of cardboard sitting on the seat. It says, do not drive this van. It's completely rusted off the axles. If you hit a bump in the rear, your whole entire drivetrain's gonna fly out and you could hurt somebody. It's literally sitting on the frame with no real attachment. I wish he would have said that before he charged me $600 to fix a gas leak but he didn't. So I said, well, maybe this is Texas. What do they know about rust? I'm gonna take it to a couple other guys and see what they say. Both of them were like, yeah, this guy's not jerking you around. This van is a death trap. This episode is brought to you in part by Earthquaker Devices. You can find them at earthquakerdevices.com. Please follow them on Instagram and all the other social sites. They're great. They're going to be posting about the podcast, so let's show them some love. I'm in the unique position of having had worked at Earthquaker Devices and experienced firsthand the care and attention that goes into each and every single pedal they sell. Go check them out. They have great customer service. Your satisfaction is absolutely guaranteed. Made in the USA by the sweetest people in the sweetest little town, Akron, Ohio. Go check it out, Earthquaker Devices. Now, back to the podcast. So I just spent $600 on a van, then I had to call a junkyard to come tow for $500. I knew my van was about to break up. The way they behaved and chose to exit that relationship. It caused me a lot of stress and trauma for a long time. I mean, we were just, I was just, I was completely exhausted. But this is all in a matter of days. I had to turn the record deal down. The lawyer called me and said, did you look at the new contract? And I said, yeah, I don't think it's very good. She's like, are you gonna sign it? And I was like, I don't think I should. And she was like, no, you can do better. And I'm like, why'd you just ask me if I was gonna sign it then? 
Why? Because she had a clause in there that saw that she got a good chunk of money once we signed. That's why you all don't trust nobody, man. Don't trust nobody. We walked away from that deal after a very insane South by Southwest. I canceled 13 shows on a tour. I said, if we don't play these last three shows, we're not gonna be able to pay our rent. So make it work for the band. We can get home, everybody can go their separate ways and we can figure something out time down the road. Well, if you were at the show in Athens, Georgia, or you ask anyone who was at our last show in Athens, Georgia, as that lineup, it didn't go as planned. There was a situation where somebody antagonized someone else on stage and someone threw a beer at someone's head and I kicked someone off stage. And then we proceeded to finish the show without her, that person being Chi-Chi. If you ask anyone who was at that show in Athens, Georgia, they'll tell you it was a pretty intense moment. But I finished the show regardless because I'm a professional. If I'm on the road, I'm not really there to fucking do drugs. I'm not there to drink. I ain't there to cause trouble or make a scene or be dramatic or a diva or fucking anything. I'm on tour because I want to play for as many people as possible and make some money for my girls and handle my shit. So the show goes on. Thank goodness Electro Harmonics makes a octave pedal. And it's just that easy to plug in and have some subtones. And that's what I did. So we got back to Nashville. And I was pretty set on walking away from the band. I realized that these girls had just kind of ruined the project. And I was just so completely drained and worn out by the experience. And I don't have a van now. I don't have any money. And I just worked my ass off. And got this album now I gotta put out and I don't know how I'm gonna put it out and I'm just, I'm just, I'm at my wit's end. Pretty devastated actually. The day after we get home from that whole shebang and let me tell you there are dark moments I can't even speak about. I get a call from a booking agent and he says do you want to do three weeks with Eagles of Death Metal and two shows with Charles Bradley on top of that. You got three weeks to get your shit together. $500 a show, which is huge money for us at the time. Can you make it happen? And I told him, I said, look, I don't have a bass player. I don't have a van. I don't even know if I have a drummer. I don't have any money. You can't, you don't just walk onto a tour like that. You have to walk in with couple thousand bucks just to get in the door, you know? So I said, I don't know, man. I don't know. I try. Give me 24 hours. Let me see if I can't figure something out. Now, and in the midst of all of this madness, we acquired a wonderful organ player uh, via Margot Price named Amaya. Well, I named her Coochie Coochie. 
She loved to dance, and she had this like whole spicy vibe about her that was just nuts. She's from Spain, wild hair, this is this little petite firestorm. She's just kind of sticking with me through all this stuff. And she ain't got no skin in the game. She didn't have to do that, but she did. I just need somebody's tactile that's just gonna walk in this situation, play a bass, get it done, take care of business. So I reached out to this woman who played bass in a band in Austin called Feral Future. I asked her if she would be interested in doing the tour. She's real, just brass tacks, come in, take care of business. Learn the set, make it work. And she agreed to do it. Offered her kind of been a lot of money, but it was worth it to me to have that security and know that I was gonna have someone on our team that was just gonna get to work and not cause me any trouble. I talked to Chase, I said, look, the only reason you're here and that bass player isn't is because we are friends and you have seniority and you know, finding a drummer's a lot harder than finding a bass player. We know that this is in both our best professional interests that we do this tour. So let's make it happen. I don't know how I did it. I blacked out, but I made the money. I got the bass player. I got us a van. I rented us a van to go van. Thank you for my dad fronting me the deposit money for like two hours so that I could PayPal him the money and I didn't have a credit card. Uh, I still don't. Uh, I like cash. I saw Helen Wolf's money case the other day at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and I thought, that's what I like. So there we were. We did this tour with Eagles of Death Metal. We did these shows with Charles Bradley that I will cherish and treasure for the rest of my life, rest in peace. And all in all, the tour was pretty chill. Obviously, Chase was going through a lot of things vis-a-vis -vis the fucking breakup she had, and our relationship was very strained because of that, and I wasn't being sympathetic to her because she'd caused me so much trouble. And I just wanted her to be chill on that tour. I wanted her to appreciate that I had hold, held everything together and made that shit happen regardless of the shit that her and Gigi had caused me. I thought she should be grateful and respectful of that and play the shows and not be a dick. That was something she wasn't interested in doing. Uh, she made it very clear on that tour. And so when we got back, as much as it hurt, because she was my bestest friend in the whole world, and we kind of built that band up together, and we have a pretty intense chemistry on stage and off stage. I told her I didn't want her in the band anymore, which was pretty devastating to both of us. After all of that, you know, driving 12 hours a day and just worrying about everything, you know, it's like people always want to hate you when you're the leader, but nobody wants to be the leader, you know? Nobody wants to be responsible for a van and all the equipment in the van and all the people in the van and the promoter and the club and the food and the drinks and the crowd and the amps and the fuck everything, you know? Nobody wants to do that job. And unfortunately, I have a very strong presence. So guess who gets that responsibility? And it is my baby. So you know what? 
Being a leader keeps my anxiety at bay and makes me a functional member of society. So I said, fuck it. I'll be the leader, you know? But at that point, I was really questioning whether or not the band could exist without Chase and Baby Angel and and question myself as a leader. And I just didn't want to deal with Thelma and the Sleeves for a while. So I took about six months off. I went to Akron, Ohio, and I built guitar pedals, which was a pretty incredible experience. I took the money that I made from doing those guitar pedals. I mean, I worked in the guitar pedal factory. If you have an Acapulco Gold or a Hummingbird or a Tone Job or any of those pedals from November of 2016, there's a good chance I made that pedal, <laughs> which is still kind of funny. but. I think my friend Julie Robbins, who works there, knew I needed to get away from Nashville for a minute and get my bearings, and I was really grateful for that. And, um, yeah, I was really grateful, and it, and it made me very happy. When I was there at Earthquaker, I kind of built up a little bit more of a fan base I take it over their Instagram every day, posted silly videos, and people seem to really like them. So I got a little bit more of a fan base, and I was feeling pretty good. I had written about six new songs for a project called LG and Friends. Played with a lot of cool Nashville people that were just like chill and fun, and we had some really great shows and kind of started to realize, wait, people like me. They like my songs. They like my persona. They like what I have to say. It's not about who else is up here, you know? If I could find good people to play with, I need to just keep doing what I set out to do when I've built up all these years and keep doing it and not let someone else's mistakes dictate how I live my life and what my goals are. And then I started working on trying to put a band together and get back out on the road. Because we had a record to put out. I mean, none of the girls that made that record with me were in the band anymore, except for Coochie. But we had a record to put out. And Coochie did the Stooges shows with me. She did LGs and French with me. She was pretty much my standby, had my back this whole crazy time. And I'm constantly indebted to her for that. Because I didn't have nobody at that point, and I was feeling pretty bleak. You know, I decided I was going to keep doing double and It was going to come back. Baby Angel by Fred Tiffany and this little scrapper named Whiskers came around. She's in a band. She's kind of hippie, but she's really cool. And she's always trying to fight. And she skateboarded. And she just had this beautiful energy. I found Snowflake, who obviously was not as technical as Chase coming into the picture, but... I really liked how chill she was. She's a very well-traveled woman. Seemed like she didn't mind being alone, which is a good quality to find in people. And she smacked the fuck out of the drums. And they agreed to play the first two Thumb and the shows with me so I could get back on my feet and find some new people and get back out there, get my name back out there, get back with my booking agent and tell everybody, like, game on, dude. Game fucking on. 
we went out on the road, me, Whiskers, Snowflake, Coochie. We played a few shows. It felt really good. So I kind of decided at that point, maybe I'm not going to have a permanent lineup all the time, but as long as I'm here and as long as the girls I play with are cool and respect me and respect the project and give it their all, we're going to be able to do this thing and we're going to be able to tour and we're going to be able to have fun and make money and entertain our fans. There's no shortage of badass women who want to play in this band and give it their all. It's been awesome. We had Pebbles, a.k.a. Erica from Athens, play on one tour. Drummer, sick. A Lady Bama, home economics teacher from Birmingham. Just sweetest homemade pie. Cheyenne, a.k.a. Helen from the band Butthole, play bass. She's my daughter. And just like building these characters, building this storyline, building this whole mythology around this band has been really fun and exciting. It's opened me up creatively and these girls always support me and respect me and want this band to do well. They come, they go, they come back, they leave, they come back, it doesn't matter. There's always somebody there to do the job and it's been a lot of fun, I think, for myself and for my fans to get to meet these new women and see how talented they are and that there's no shortage of talented, incredible women playing rock and roll. A lot of people always ask me what we sound like or what genre we are. We're rock and roll. We're a rock and roll band, you know? I think rock and roll is performance art. I think it's, it's fucking protest. I think it's sexual. I think it's aggression. I think it's so many things, and I relate to it so much. And some of the songs are softer, some of the songs are harder, but at the end of the day, it's all rock and roll. You know, and some of these girls come in and play jazz, some of these girls come in and play country, some of these girls play, but they all add a special something to the band, and I really, I like it, it keeps me on my toes. And things I feel like are starting to catch on, you know, I have moments, but overall, like, I feel like people are really starting to get pretty ravenous about the band. Like, we're a real deal. And I think when people start to scratch the surface, they'll, if you scratch the surface, you listen to our, our music, you listen, watch our videos, if you go down the Instagram, if you see the shit that we've done, you would, you would blow your mind how hardworking and how dedicated we are to this, this band. I'm very proud of it. But yeah. I'm really starting to see the difference, and that's making me happy. And I'm excited to put out our new record once I get that recorded, and I know I'm gonna find some great people to play on it. And, you know, life gets a lot easier when you stop getting attracted to crazy. You gotta love, you gotta be able to love. And you gotta be able to feel love and you gotta be able to make love, you know, that's gotta be number one. You gotta look for people that can do that. It has its ups and downs, but it's my legacy at this point, and it leads me on to so many other avenues of creativity, and I'm very proud of it. Thanks for joining me. We'll delve deeper into what it's like to be a DIY tour musician, to be an underdog, to be a queer, to be a rock and roller, to be a trailblazer, to be uncompromising and innovative. 
and love. You know what I mean? Our podcast artwork is done by James Goodman. Queen of Shit Mountain is produced by Michael Ann Petrella with assistant producer Amy Westervelt on the Critical Frequency Podcast Network. 